This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips. Masters of Dispute Resolution is designed to provide those involved in the mediation process with the views of the most experienced and accomplished mediators and others experienced in the process. Through our discussions, you will gain insight into how to address and overcome difficult issues and achieve more satisfying results in mediation. Your host is Len Levy, mediator and arbitrator with ADR Services, Inc., a leading alternative dispute resolution provider. Lynn litigated complex cases for more than 30 years and has been a mediator since 1998 and is a member of the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. He has been recognized as a super lawyer in alternative dispute resolution each year since 2014. And now your host, Lynn Levy. Thank you, Daryl. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Masters of Dispute Resolution, a mini seminar which will add tools to your mediation toolbox. We're brought to you by Lawyer Specific Insurance Brokerage, Inc., the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals, and ADR Services, Inc. Now, this is our third season, and we're changing up the format just a bit. And though we still will be providing you with insights into the mediation process, we're going to be doing it through the power of storytelling. Now, in each episode, you will hear a story about the conflict, the impact the conflict had on the lives of the parties involved, how resolution was reached, and lessons to be taken from that conflict and its resolution. Uh, Now, many of the details of the story you're about to hear have been modified to preserve the confidentiality essential to mediation, while also conveying the essence of the conflict and its resolution. Uh, joining me today is Michael Belmages. Michael is uh, an accomplished mediator and discovery referee with extensive experience as a trial lawyer, general counsel, and transactional lawyer. As a mediator and neutral, he's come to great success in helping litigants involve their disputes in more than a thousand cases. His friendly nature and ability to find common ground contribute to his easy rapport with litigants and their attorneys, while his determination to get cases settled is evident at each hearing. Mike is committed to exploring every option available to the parties to develop creative solutions to dispute resolution. Mike's mediation experience is supplemented by his broad experience as a civil litigator, corporate general counsel, and transactional attorney. He's tried over 75 cases, taken more than a thousand depositions, and negotiated and drafted more than a thousand contracts. He has extensive experience with business entities, including the formation, dissolution, and merger of such entities, and the negotiation and drafting of numerous contracts and deal documents. Uh, Mike has been rated AV preeminent by Martindale Hubble for over 30 years, and he is also the lead astronomer for the reserve at Rancho Mission Viejo, where he helms the nonprofit's stargazing events with the help from a handful of astronomy professors. Uh, Mike and I have become uh, very well acquainted over the past Um, several months, and um, it is a real pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Mike. 
Len, thank you. We have become well acquainted over the last several months. And you mentioned one thing in the introduction, which I think is going to be our focus today, and that's rapport, developing rapport with, with counsel, with the litigants. So. Right. And, and what we're, we're going to do is we're going to be actually looking at a couple of mediations that Mike was involved in before he began mediating cases extensively. Although I'm not sure it's before you began mediating cases because you've been mediating cases and conducting settlement conferences for a long, long time. Right. Yeah, that's that's true. And I don't recall whether these cases, uh, how active my mediation practice was at that time, but I did uh, started doing mediations in connection with my practice. And as you said, I've been a temporary judge in the Orange County Superior Court for a really long time. I've done more than a thousand MSCs as a temporary judge. Right. So today's uh, episode, I've at least tentatively entitled, was litigation a worthwhile business investment? And Michael's going going to tell us about a case, a couple of cases that lasted for a long time and went through a couple of mediations, and we're going to hear about that and the lessons to be learned. Mike, take it away, please. Okay, it's kind of a long introduction into this case. It was a very complex one. I represented the head of construction of a major builder. They build lots and lots of apartment buildings all over over Southern California. Uh, It was a privately held company. My my client had worked there for over 30 years. Uh, he He was their head of construction, he and his boss, the privately held owner of the company, had become friends. In fact, they had built their houses, their custom-built houses on adjoining lots. Uh, my client had a written employment agreement with the company that allowed him to work on his own projects, even if they competed with the company. So uh, while working on two major multi-unit projects for the company, he and an employee of one of the contractors on those two projects began flipping houses and small apartment buildings. My client did not tell his boss about this side business. He didn't think he had to. Um, The boss found out anyway and immediately fired his 30-year employee and friend. Within three weeks, he sued my client and his investment partner and the investment partner's employer. Uh, Sued him for usurping corporate opportunities and for allegedly using corporate assets to work on their own private uh, projects. Those are the main thrusts. There there are a million causes of action, as there are in in all cases like that. Um, Through discovery, we learned that they were claiming damages of $7 million. So here's the spoiler alert. This case did not settle. It was tried in four parts. It was not bifurcated or trifurcated. It was quadfurcated. Uh, This was in complex in Orange County. Uh, The first of the four trials was on the usurping corporate opportunities claim. And we won that claim. Zero usurping, uh, the court found, and zero zero damages. The second trial was on the main claim that my client and his investment partner had used corporate assets on their private uh, projects. Here's where the $7 million damages claim was. Plaintiff won, if you can call it that. The trial court on its own had come up with this theory that the plaintiff was entitled to get back one half of my client's salary for one year and awarded the plaintiff $112,000. That was on their $7 million claim. They won $112,000. 
The third trial involved a co-defendant and his indemnity claim against his employer, and we were just observers of that. Uh, that. The fourth trial was on my client client's cross-complaint against the plaintiff, his employer, reimbursement of attorney's fees and costs under Corporations Code 317D. We won, and the trial court awarded my client approximately $700,000. One more note. Plaintiff had moved for attorney fees after they won the $112,000 part of the case. They didn't get, the court did not award them any attorney fees and concluded that they were not the prevailing party. But we learned from that motion, from their declarations, that they had spent, the plaintiff had spent approximately $5 million litigating the case, all for a, a recovery of $112,000 and for the pleasure of, of reimbursing my client $700,000 of his fees and costs. This case was highly litigated. Over the course of five years, 84 depositions were taken, more than a million pages of documents were produced, and uh, thousands of interrogatories and requests for admissions were served and responded to. Numerous discovery and other motions were, were filed, and a discovery referee became very rich on all this stuff. Uh, all of it was very acrimonious. Our side came to really dislike their side, attorneys included, uh, and they clearly felt the same about us. Mediation was attempted twice, and, and that's what I'm going to talk about, and we'll, we'll start here uh, on the first time. The first time was a retired jurist from one of the... Well, before Michael, let me just interrupt. Before we get into this, I've got a couple of questions. Sure. First of all, the, the, the investment in litigation, you said, was multi-million dollars. In, in that that the that the um, plaintiff had invested in 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 litigation, right? Yeah, I, I said five million. We really calculated at seven million, but I want to be conservative to say within the ballpark here. On okay. Experts, attorneys, everything else. What we're going to do now is we're going to take a break and we're going to get in into a few of the things that led up to this uh, spending the. Five to seven million dollars. Wow. We'll be back. This is Len Levy on Masters of Dispute Resolution, and I'm joined by Mike Balmages. Masters of Dispute Resolution would like to thank ADR Services Incorporated, your partner in resolution, and its founder Lucy Barron for supporting this podcast. ADR Services is one of the leading providers of alternative dispute resolution in California. Leveraging technology to drive resolution, ADR Services is committed to dynamism in the face of growing client need and an ever-evolving legal climate. Now operating offices in all major legal markets of California, ADR Services provides unparalleled in-person and remote resolution services through its exclusive panel comprised of more than 130 of the most distinguished and talented neutrals across the state, capable of handling challenging and complex mediations, arbitration, and other procedures in every field of law. When you seek the services of a neutral and you want results and satisfied clients, contact ADR Services, www.adrservices.com. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and my guest is Mike Belmages. Uh, we're talking about a piece of litigation that lasted for uh, over five years, Mike? Over five years. And and uh, resulted in people who had been very close becoming very distant. Do you want to please just uh, explain what the, what led to this level of, I want to call it vindictiveness, uh, but correct me if I'm wrong, but 
uh, a a level of um, of hatred or something that drove one party to want to spend that kind of money going after another. Yeah, that's something we thought uh, talked about a lot and, and and pondered a lot on. So these uh, two gentlemen, my client and his boss, had become close friends. Their family were close and. The boss had a son who was a kid. He was, uh, you know, uh, a few years old when they first started working together. And now, 20, 30 years later, he was uh, in, in his mid-30s. He had also been very close to my uh, client's family. Um, when my client started flipping houses, he started flipping houses with one of the employees of a contractor who was about the same age as the son of the boss. And my client became very close to his new partner in these businesses. And we speculated that there was some envy or something going on because when the boss and his son, who was now part of the company, found out about my client doing business with this particular guy, it, they just went ballistic. I mean, they just, it was, and this was driven as far as we can tell by the son, who was the vice president of the com company. I mean, as I said, they immediately fired my client. And within three weeks had filed suit. It wasn't like there was a lot of negotiation or anything going on after that. Wow. And they litigated this to the hilt. Uh, as, you'll, as you'll hear a little bit in, in uh, when we talk about the mediations, there was, they, they gave no quarter on anything and everything was a battle. Well, you know, I've I, I been and I think o almost any attorney who's who's been trying cases for for as long as you have or as long as I, I did, uh, the the stories that can come out in terms of cases that that last a long time for no apparent reason um uh, and they also take a, a a big toll on on the parties I, I don't think parties really appreciate that yeah this took a tremendous toll on my client he was portrayed by the other side as this evil mastermind of this uh, malfeasance conspiracy to uh, ruin the parent, you know, the company he was working for in favor of his own projects. I mean, not, none of it was accurate in the slightest, but he was, and he was a very gentle man and a gentleman who just had, uh, it just maintained his calmness and his, his, uh, his, his good being throughout this whole thing. I mean, it was remarkable how he, he tolerated, tolerated is the wrong word, but how he handled all this. So at some point, somebody got the idea or a judge suggested or somehow it ended up in, in a mediation. Well, it ended up in two different mediations with two different mediators. And I'm about to, uh, you know, if you want me, I'll tell you about those mediations. And But in defense of both of those mediators who I'm about to be critical of, nothing would have settled this case. There's no way that, 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 that the plaintiff was out to ruin my client and they... Even though week one overall and in this battle, they did ruin my client. I mean, he's they spent five million plus. He spent uh, he had he had savings. I don't know, as working for all these years uh, of a couple million dollars. All of that was exhausted by the time this case was over. I mean, his attorney's fees, his fees exceeded a million dollars. We paid experts hundreds of thousands of dollars. So they ended up winning, even though we won back seven hundred thousand dollars of our costs at the end they did they I, I to say they ruined him is strong and he's today this is now uh, several years later he's still he and his wife still are very wonderful people who still seem to enjoy life very much and uh, very happy people but uh yeah so, so mediation 
I don't remember how it first came about. The first mediation that we had co-defendants were also being sued and everybody, the plaintiff and the co-defendants all have suggested we try mediation with this one particular retired jurist from one of the big, uh, big mediation firms. Um, he, he was the wrong guy uh, for this job. Uh, he had his work cut out for him and he, and he just couldn't do it. The, the case needed an evaluative mediator who was going to hammer both sides with the risks, extreme expense, and all the other hardships of mediation. Instead, we got the most facilitative mediator I've ever encountered. He simply conveyed factual allegations and demands and offers back and forth without offering any opinions on anything of substance. He did not engage with the parties or the counsel. There's no joking, no storytelling, no sympathy, no empathy, no empathy. And uh, the mediation just failed. It went. It went nowhere. I mean, I, I don't. I rem if the, to the best of my recollection, the plaintiffs never came off their seven million dollar demand during that full day mediation. So that was the first one. Uh, the second mediation occurred well over a year later. This time, the mediator was a very well known non-retired judge mediator, also with one of the large mediation providers. Very dynamic, very forceful, and very evaluative. So evaluative, they told my client and our co-defendant that they were the bad guys in this story and that they were going to lose. That didn't go over very well. But that wasn't what killed this mediation. And I'll tell you what was. In our separate caucus room with my client, my client's wife, my law partner, and I were in that room, I made various charts on the whiteboard, uh, pros and cons, points, counterpoints, demands and offers. I labeled our side of the charts good guys, and I labeled the opposing party side of the charts rat bastards. And this was the label that was greatly appreciated by my clients, and we rallied behind this, kind of my style, you know, my personality, be enthusiastic to be a cheerleader, uh, me and you against the world uh, sort of thing. The mediator came into our room, looked at the whiteboard, and without saying a word, without saying a word, walked up to it and erased my charts. He then lectured me on how inappropriate and counterproductive it was for me to use those labels. He also added, I guess, just to make it seem more appropriate, that his assistant might come into the room and, and see this vulgarity and be offended by it. So he left the room. I said to my clients, F him. That's not the, the full word of that. Went back to the whiteboard and rewrote the charts and labels the same exact way. He came back into the room and was very happy, uh, unhappy, very, very unhappy with me. And then the mediation ended. So um, I can contrast that with another case I had, if, if you'd like me to, where, where I kind of did the same thing. Do you have questions? You look like you do. Yes. Yeah. Before before we get into the other the, the, the other contrast, look, one of the things that we know as mediators is that it is essential that you relate to both of the parties, that you establish a rapport with both of the parties. Uh, your telling of the story, uh, it seems to indicate to me that the precise opposite occurred. It was a buzzkill. Uh, the, the client didn't, as you say, didn't read the room, uh, and, uh, didn't try to relate. What, what did he seem to come in with? And you said he was very evaluative. He came in with an agenda. Is that what he did? Yeah, I guess uh, prior to the mediation, I'd say a week or two before the mediation, he called me up and invited me to go to lunch with him. And we went to lunch in a very nice restaurant 
on the water in Newport Beach, and we kind of got to know each other better. Everybody else seemed to know him. Mm -hmm. I, I had heard of him, but I didn't really know this guy. But everybody seemed to know him, and I thought it was nice that he was taking me to lunch. We got to know each other. We talked about the case, and it seemed like this was a really good thing to happen, that he understood our point of view. We, uh, I told him how difficult, you know, I told him about the difficult relationship between the parties, how highly contested this had been, how everything was emotion. There was nothing that went easy. Every discovery request had, was followed by emotion. Uh, and that we had the discovery referee and all this. And I thought, I thought that was really a good thing, but he did not display any of that geniality or anything like that in the mediation. It was his evaluation that my clients were going to lose this thing, which we did not do, by the way, and that they were the bad guys. I mean, he was, he was characterizing this thing that, that they had worked together while they were working on the plaintiff's projects and that was just so you know, such a bad look to it and such a bad feel to it and all this that they were going to lose and that they were bad guys. I don't know if he had an agenda. I'd assume his agenda was to settle the case, but uh, he didn't approach it in a way that went over well with me or my clients. And as, as I said, and then when he, uh, he attacked my rat bastards uh, sign, <laughs> that just did it for me right there and my clients. Well, the the precise opposite of establishing trust seemed to have occurred. Uh, we are going to take a break and uh, we are going to be discussing the aftermath of this and uh, what uh, what we might be able to take away from some of the events uh, that occurred at the mediation. When we return to Masters of Dispute Resolution, I'm Len Levy and I'm talking with Mike Valmages. Masters of Dispute Resolution is sponsored by the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. NADN is the premier invitation-only association of civil mediators and arbitrators in the United States with members in every state of the nation. Only experienced ADR professionals who are widely acceptable to local plaintiff and defense firms are invited to join the Academy's roster. The Academy's website, NADN.org, is the most widely visited neutrals database in the world today. With over 40,000 law offices, insurance companies, and corporations visiting our free website annually. Firms can search for neutrals by many criteria, including location, case expertise, qualifications, language skills, and most NADN members also publish their available dates, calendars, online, making NADN.org the go-to website for law firms wishing to schedule appointments online with their preferred mediators. For more information, please visit www.nadn.org. Dot org today. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy. We're chatting with Mike Belmages, and we're talking about a case in which uh, both parties invested a ton of money into litigation. Mike just finished telling us about what happened at the mediation. And Mike, you alluded to a, a, another story in terms of the the contrast to the let's say, to the rat bastards of posting. Well, I have another story. Um, uh, I know you want to talk a little bit more about the aftermath of the other case, but I do have another story with rat bastards in it also. Okay. Uh, and this was, a, this was a, a case with another mediator from the same mediation provider as the, well, the one I just talked about. And in, in that case, I represented a retired founding and named partner of a major law firm 
who has retiring partners sometimes do with suing his former firm, which was still named after him. Uh, it was based on, you know, uh, how he was treated upon his retirement from the firm monetarily. And he didn't think he was treated fairly. Neither did I. That case was also highly litigated and very acrimonious. A mediation was scheduled with a retired judge. And interestingly enough, everybody agreed to this judge. He had been a partner in the defendant law firm. And he knew all the players, including my client, very well, which is a very interesting twist on this, that we all had enough faith in this retired judge who had been a partner in this firm and knew everybody, including me. I had worked for a predecessor firm uh, of that firm. So it was, it was a very interesting dynamic to have this guy who knew everybody uh, as our mediator. Um, I Again, so we were, we were in our caucus room. My, my, I was there. My client's wife was there. My client was there. My partner, law partner, was there. And I made the charts up on the board again. Good guys versus rat bastards. Only this time, the mediator in the same building, in the exact same conference room, walked into our room, chuckled, and said, let's see if we can get these rat bastards to pay you some money. Uh, we settled that case. I mean, it was just a completely – he saw an opportunity to uh, develop some rapport, and he took it. Uh, and went with it. We saw settled the case. We had, we had, we had great trust in him. <laughs> he wasn't trying to uh, uh, be a buzzkill, as you said. Well, you know, one of the one of the things, and and I, I've had this experience. I'm sure you've had this experience as well as a mediator. Uh, you 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 find there are some attorneys that don't know the difference between mediation advocacy and trial advocacy and uh in in terms of of art you know they want to argue every single point um when when you're faced with that it's somewhat difficult to settle the case isn't it yeah and i i i you're right and i when I, as a mediator i let that go on for a while we go back and forth with arguments about the facts or about the law and all this and I don't I want people to have their say. But after a while, I tell them, you know, I, I, I mean, frankly, say I don't think talking about the law is going to be very productive from this point going forward. I'm not going to convince them. We're not going to convince you. Let, let's see if we can get this thing settled. Most lawyers buy into that and they don't want to talk about the law anymore. They, they want to settle. occasionally as you're negotiating numbers somebody will bring up a point well you know they're not going to win a summary judgment we're going to win on this issue i say okay yeah i mean i understand you 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 feel that way uh hopefully the court will feel that way for you guys too but it may not you know so let's let, let's uh let's see if we can get this thing settled um yeah so it, but if a person doesn't want to get off that or if in the the case i was talking about the first case uh between the boss and the and the 30-year employee if the boss doesn't ever want to settle, and that was that case, they they were not going to settle, period. I'm not sure why they were in mediation other than they thought the mediator was going, each time was going to beat us up, uh, which the second one tried to do. Well, you know, that that's 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 a very uh, it's a very big uh, ask uh, if if someone goes into a mediation with the idea that they're going to get the mediator to somehow uh, beat up the other side. Um, look, in the course of, of some discussions, you, you, you may want to you have discussions about uh, how arguments don't make sense to you. Uh, you know, the arguments that are being made by that party don't make sense. Uh, I've, I've engaged in that m myself. But the idea of 
of teaching someone a lesson in mediation by by hammering them, um, I find uh, a little bit too much of an ask. Uh, what about you, Mike? Yeah, in fact, I uh, I think you know I recently wrote an article on, on, on that very subject where uh, describing a case uh, where the other sides immediately there were like three or four different defendants, so it all got together. And they decided I needed to go in the plaintiff room and tell the plaintiff that case was terrible, that he was evil, his lawyers were evil, and they were going to kick the crap out of him. And I listened to all that. I said, you know, that's probably not. I said, that's a great idea, but I'm probably not going to use that approach. <laughs> uh, and I didn't use that approach. Instead, uh, we, you know, we went back and forth for, I think, 11 hours in that case or something like that and uh, eventually got it settled. But, yeah, there, there are times when when people choose you or they look for a particular mediator they think is going to carry their water for them completely and just get the job done for them. And I don't think that's our job. Well, how, how do you look at our job as mediators? <laughs> I think our job as, as mediators is to get, is to settle cases. And now I know there's different philosophies on all of that. And maybe I involve myself too much, uh, invest myself too much in getting a case settled but I think that's what my job is to uh, go over with people the risks, the expense, the heartache, the uh, the Yiddish word mishigas that they're going to uh, that they're going to uh, have in litigation and just get out of this and get it settled. And how much smarter it is now to get some money today and get this over with in the chance of way more money three years from now and all the horrible stuff you're going to have to go through to get to that uh, that point. So I think our job is to settle cases. I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same way too. I mean, that's oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's it's you know the the I I don't know what the first two media the the two mediators who who mediated that case had in mind uh, in terms of how they viewed their job or how they viewed uh, the settlement of the cases, but it seems to me. And and we can discuss this more. It seems to me that in addition to in addition to not establishing rapport, uh, they really didn't get into the interests that each side had. Is as far as what they thought they could achieve in mediation what they thought they might be able to achieve at trial. Is that the case? Well, it's, it seems that way. The first uh, uh, mediator we had on that case, as I mentioned, was a retired jurist, a very well-known jurist, had been very high in the judicial system. And I, I don't know what was going through his brain other than maybe his presence, that we'd just be kind of awed by the presence of this august, learned person. But he didn't give us any of his learning. You know, he was just this... As I said, facilitative, I'm here, I'm this justice, you guys need to settle this case. So, you know, you know, I'll provide the, I'll, I'll go back and forth with your settlement negotiations. There was really no in, inquiry into our, as you said, into my client's interest, into what we thought we had accomplished in mediation and all that. It was just kind of, I said, a messenger going back and forth. And the, set, the second mediator, who is not a retired judge, but I said a very forceful personality that everybody seemed to love in the mediation community, just had, I, I, I think he must have thought 
with his forcefulness, his personality, his reputation, he could tell us the way this thing was going to turn out and we'd buy it, which luckily we didn't buy. I was going to say in that second mediation, they also never came off their $7 million demand. Never throughout the course of the, the mediation. We did what all the lawyers told me they never wanted to do. We bid against ourselves. We said, okay, fine. You know, we offer, I don't know what we first offered. Let's say we offered $350,000. By the end of the day, bidding against ourselves, we were up at 800000 bucks from us and the co-defendant. Um, and we, uh, they didn't budge off their, their, their 7 million. So, uh, you know, and then, then they ended up winning 112,000 and paying my client $700,000 in fees at the end of that. Well, you know, something it sounds, it sounds to me, uh, in, in one of the takeaways might be that it it doesn't matter if you're facilitative or evaluative. If, if you start the car and you never take it out of neutral, the case isn't going to settle. So um, we'll be back shortly. We're going to take a break right now. Uh, this is Len Levy. I'm talking with Mike Belmages on Masters of Dispute Resolution. Most attorneys need professional liability coverage, but very few are professional liability experts. And there are so many options when it comes to legal malpractice insurance. How do you know how much coverage you need? What should your policy limits be? What if you've had a past claim? You shouldn't have to take time away from helping your clients to research professional liability coverage. And with lawyer-specific insurance brokerage on your side, you don't need to. Their professional liability experts shop California's leading insurance carriers to find your firm the right coverage at the best price. Lawyer-specific founders Al and Debbie Hernandez have over 50 years combined experience working with the highest rated providers of lawyers' professional liability insurance. So trust the brokerage with access to over 40 carriers in California to find a cost-effective malpractice insurance solution for your firm. Go to LawyersPacific.com and click Request a Quote. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and I'm talking with Mike Balmages. And we're talking about a case that didn't settle and um, some of the reasons why. Um, and Mike, I'd like to start out with uh, just talking very briefly about the full effect that that this litigation had, because litigation or settlement is generally the the the, the choice that we have. And I've always used the phrase: uh, if you think that litigation is a fun recreational activity, you got another thing coming. Yeah, you know, I and I, and I agree with that one hundred percent. I, you know, we learned in law school perhaps that civil litigation was uh, developed in part to end dueling. People used to take uh, settle their disputes in a different way, and I used to think that civil litigation was a good thing. Years ago, I learned that it's not, and I jokingly often say to people in mediations that you know, going to trial is the worst way to settle a case. Dueling would be better. It'd be way cheaper. It's over quickly. It's determinative, definitive all that stuff, uh, because I agree with you. I think civil, civil litigation is a horrible thing to go through generally. In this in this case, you asked about the effect on my clients. During pretrial stuff, during discovery, during all the, there, as I said, there were 84 depositions in this case. And my client attended every one. And, you know, we probably took half of them. The other side probably took half of them. But we both cross-examined cross in, in all of them. 
the phrasing of the questions, the argument of the questions about my client trying to portray him as this evil mastermind thief who was stealing for years from this company was so hurtful to him because that was not him at all. But yet, and, and, and at trial too, so that, that was very hurtful, hearing all that stuff. And they sued his wife and his children too. His child, One of his sons had worked for the company for a few weeks. They sued his wife and I would have to go, but because she was a conspirator with him or something like that. I forget the exact way. We eventually got both of them out uh, before trial. But, not, but nonetheless, it was just a very, very hurtful thing uh, from their former friends. And then at trial, I remember at trial when there were rulings against us, for example, on evidentiary stuff, it appeared that the judge was buying their theory that my client was an evil guy. And that really, really troubled, uh, you know, and they were plaintiffs. They got to go first. So we had to sit there during their case in chief for two weeks, three, whatever, however long it took. It was a very, very long trial uh, as they were portraying my client and his partner as just these evil masterminds of this uh, uh, attempt to rip off this company, uh, which had treated my client so well uh, of millions of dollars. So that was a very, very difficult thing. Now, we prevailed in the end. And as I said, we got back $700,000 of his uh of his attorney, $700,000 of his attorney's fees. And even though it might have seemed like the judge, the court was siding with them, he didn't side with them, side with, with us on, on, on just about every aspect uh, of this trial in, in the long run. But it was a very, very difficult thing for my client to sit through, to hear, to hear him portrayed this way. Now, in your situation, he was the defendant, you know, and 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 it sounds you know like the the civil litigation equivalent of I want him dead, I want his family dead, I want you know all of that. That is a very emotionally driven case, uh, it appears, because well, I know one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past is making a smart decision whether to settle or whether to go to trial. Which and again, trial to me is. If if it's a two week trial, it's two weeks of each side calling the other a liar. Not not a pleasant thing to do. But um, but let's talk about a smart decision here. What, what what was there a smart decision decision available to be made by the plaintiffs? Yeah, the plaintiffs that uh, when we offered that eight hundred thousand dollars at that one mediation, they should have taken that. It would have saved a couple years off this thing, saved them a couple more million in fees and costs and. They wouldn't have had to pay my clients seven hundred thousand. That that wouldn't have been a smart decision. They were not interested in smart decisions. I mean, I approached defense counsel, uh, who I barely got along with. Interestingly enough, defense counsel and I, and this was a bitterly fought thing, and accusations flying both ways have have become friends after, after this. And you talk about my astronomy. He's uh, I involve him in my astronomy stuff and all this at this point. But I mean, I approached him several times about really he said, why, why don't you just have your clients write a check to Children's Hospital of Orange County for $3 million, name a wing after them, and let's end this there. Something like that. You know, just, just why waste all this money on this? It never made any difference. They were going to try this thing. They were going to publicly humiliate, they thought, publicly humiliate my client and be um, you know, triumphant in showing what an evil guy he was. So I don't think there was, I don't think a smart decision was something they cared about. Well, th you know, th this is this is a a problem that mediators should look out for, and that is there are some cases that 
just can't settle. I mean, there are cases where the interests of the parties are such that it the that interest cannot be fulfilled through a mediation. Correct. Oh, absolutely. And this was one of those cases. Um, I kind of learned that lesson in a way from uh, retired Judge Jim DeCesar in the Orange County Superior Court when I was doing a lot of a lot of uh, settlement conferences for him. And I came in one time very frustrated after a settlement conference. Uh, this case should settle, Judge. I mean, I came and he said, you know, Mike, there are some cases that just aren't going to settle. That's it. And they're going to they're going to be tried. And he was right about that. I didn't want to think that. I thought I had the power to settle everything. And he was right. I don't have the power to settle everything. Right. Right. Uh, none, none of us do. And um, j- let me just, as as we're just about ready to wrap up here, I, I want to talk to, uh, talk a little bit about something that didn't get established in, in either of the, the mediations to even give them a chance, and that is rapport. Uh, in, in order to even get into the idea of making a smart decision, a mediator has to have some rapport. Why don't now that you're you've been mediating a long time? In retrospect, how do you how do you see establishing rapport? So rapport, I think, is the most important. When I when I talk to mediators and others about mediation, I say there are two key things for the mediator: rapport and persistence. And I rapport rapport is the most important thing, a tool that we mediators have. Uh, to develop rapport, I think the mediator has to learn about the litigants and the lawyers' lives, their families, their interests. You have to listen to them and you have to share with them. I spend a significant portion of my mediations digressing, digressing into where people were born, where they grew up, where they went to school, how many kids they have, what they do, what their kids do, where they vacation, what teams they root for, uh, and so on and so on. And when I discover something that we have in common, boy, I go right after that and and, and talk about that. I also do, I, I think I mentioned this to you, I do kind of the most dangerous thing a mediator can do is I tell jokes and I say funny things. And I, I quote uh, quote this a Roman a poet Horace who said, "Mix a little foolishness with your serious plans." It is lovely to be silly at the right moment. I am silly in my mediations. I mean, I, I at times, uh, sometimes, however, that backfires as as my wife has cautioned me on more than one occasion because um, she's seen me in operation. <laughs> and not everybody uh, thinks I'm as funny as I think I am, but when it works, it works, and I think it, I think it's wor- worth the risk. Um, I don't know, the first mediator described above, you know, the one that did, the, developed no rapport, he did not engage at all. The second mediator was a buzzkill, to quote, to quote you. And the third mediator who uh, recognized an opportunity to engage and develop rapport, and uh, he gets some money from those rat bastards. So I have something to develop, something to have them like me and me like them. Well... Mike, we we are about at the end of our discussion, and it has been such a great pleasure, as always, talking with you. Uh, have such a such a good time, even uh, as we were were talking about uh, various cases that we could use in this in this podcast today. Mike, can you just give us an idea as to what the best way might be to um, get in touch with you for those who want to use you as a mediator? Well, the best way is to go through ADR Services, Inc., where I am a, a, a mediator. And I think our phone number is 
9800 I'm pretty sure that that's our phone number at, at our Orange County office. I thank you so much for this conversation and and I thank you for becoming a friend. I, I really I really do uh, think of you that way. And I, I hope we're going to have you back uh, again in the future. Um, I want to also thank uh, Daryl Wayne, uh, my engineer and producer, and I'm your host, uh, Len Levy. This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on Podclips.io, powered by Infogen Labs, Inc. All right. Well, we're at the end, and I hope you will continue to enjoy the stories we bring you. And in the meantime, stay well, keep listening, and remember, peace of mind is enhanced when conflicts are resolved. If you wish to contact Len Levy, you can reach him through his email at lslevy at adrservices.com, through Len's website, lenlevymediate.com, telephone him at 818-903-5562, or contact his case manager at ADR Services, 213-683-1600.